Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello out there. Yes, hello out there, everyone, and welcome back to None But the Brave, a presentation of Evergreen Podcasts. I am Hal Schwartz, and as always, I'm here with my great buddy Flynn McLean. And Flynn, tonight we get to discuss a new album from Mr. Springsteen. Yes, only the song "Survive" is is finally out. This is actually in our this is our fourth season. This is our third new album to discuss about Mr. Springsteen, and it's interesting to note that of these three albums, they've all been very different genres. So he's doing he's staying quite active there, even if these are a bunch of covers and, and not originals. That's true, and we're gonna. Do something a little different tonight. First of all, we're going to fully admit that Flynn and I are not experts on the soul music genre. So rather than doing track by track tonight, what we wanted to do is get a little context for this record. And we're bringing in Lauren Anki, who is a soul music expert and also wrote the Backstreet's review for the record. And we're going to get her thoughts and have a discussion on the album as a whole. And then we'll probably come back and do track by track at a later date. Lauren is uh, she knows her stuff, and we're looking forward to talking to her about it, and and to get her more of more color to to these tracks. For us, we we would have to go back to watching the YouTube videos of of or tracking down the recordings of, of the originals, and uh, but that's all we would know. We wouldn't know the history or the original artist and and the context in which they originally were recorded and released. We're going to get to that in a moment. First, another Springsteen performance this week, and that was at Stand Up for Heroes in New York. This was another good one. Yes, it was. Another about a 20-minute set, four songs, <laughs> very, very lame jokes this year. I think the jokes are getting worse. The set list was House of a Thousand Guitars, I'll Work for Your Love, I'll See You in My Dreams, and, and Dancing in the Dark, and it was a pretty good performance. Uh, thanks to the miracle of YouTube, I was able to, to watch it in its entirety from my desk today. As did I. And one of the things that really hurt me was he introduced House of a Thousand Guitars as this is my state of the union. And what that said to me really is Letter to You is still very much on his mind. And I think it points to the fact that that is going to be a major focal point of the tour. And you can add in, I'll see you in my dreams to that category as well. Obviously, he's done this this one a lot, uh, several times over the last couple of years. So I definitely fully anticipate that one being, being an every-nighter. I guess the other questions would be about whether the title track or Ghost or Burning Train. They all should be every-nighters, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, I really strongly think that both Ghosts and I'll See You in My Dreams will be in the show regularly. I agree. After that, maybe he'll rotate. Some of the songs probably won't be played very much. I don't see if I was the priest getting a lot of regular outings, although that would be cool. But we're well, how far are we now? Less than 90 days. So it's, it's going to be really exciting. And in watching the YouTube video from Stand Up For Heroes, again, he looks and sounds fantastic. I can't wait till they convene with the band and start rehearsing. Now I'll probably stay in blackout mode as I try to do, but I think they're going to hit the ground running. I certainly hope so. I certainly hope so. I think uh, they've been off this long. In the past, though, they've started off a little rusty, but I guess it'll depend on on how much rehearsal time they do and how intense it is. They, sh- I mean, they sh- should start first week of January and just and do it three or four days a week, five, six hours at a time. But maybe they will this time, but that has not been the usual uh, usual approach. Well, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people saying it th- that the prices the tickets are, they very well better be ready. <laughs> yeah, I, actually, I, I agree with that. If you're spending $1,000 for a seat, for a ticket to these shows, yeah, Bruce better be in, the, in that rehearsal uh, soundstage for eight hours a day for four weeks. But we'll see what happens with that. Yeah, we don't want any rising disasters when people are paying $600, $800, a seat. More. Uh, because as, as we know, the opening night of the Rising Tour did not go well. But it's weird, though, that the opening night of the Magic Tour was actually pretty, well, a pretty strong show. 
It was. But yeah. Yeah, but we'll so we'll see what happens. So let's move on to the record. We're going to bring Lauren in in a moment, but before we do, what were your initial impressions of Only the Strong Survive? Well, it didn't really grab me from the get-go. I think I've said that before about the individual songs, but it's grown on me. I really, I'm really enjoying Night Shift. Uh, I talked about that one before. I love Western Union Man and The Sun Ain't Gonna Shine and and I Wish It Would Rain. These these are some of my favorites right now, and I'm I'm going to be keep listening to it. I think it's going to grow on me more, and so far so good with that. I guess my initial impression was a little different than yours, as we've discussed. I put it on, I listened to it straight through, what is it, 51 minutes, and I really enjoyed it, much more than I expected after hearing Do I Love You, and I just found it to be very energetic, he sounds amazing, certainly I don't think all the tracks are on the same level, but there are a few here that are outstanding, Uh, you mentioned Western Union Man, I also love The Sun Ain't Gonna Shine Anymore. What Becomes of the Brokenhearted, which is a song I've mentioned previously. It's just a powerhouse. And then I Forgot to Be Your Lover, which I had never heard before. It just floored me how good that one is. It really does sound a lot like a Springsteen song. Yeah, that's what's interesting about that one. I think um, Back in Your Arms comes to mind. And to me, the sun ain't going to shine anymore. It feels like something that could have been on The Promise. And so that one to me... That one, to me, has the most E Street sound of, of all these songs. I wish we knew more about it. And, of course, that's why we're bringing Lauren in as our ringer for the evening on this topic. It just seems like he's got a real joy for it. And that's not a surprise. This A lot of his music is rooted in this type of material. I think people should give it a chance. And I know there's some resistance to it, but we're going to talk about it. I think it's a worthy topic. And, of course, we're always going to be big on any new Springsteen record in terms of our coverage. Uh, yes, we are. Anytime you can get uh, new songs, at least sung by, by Bruce Springsteen, I think that's something to, to really take in. And I'm, I'm one of the people that's going to, I'm going to keep listening. I'm not putting it away by any stretch. And I'm sure some of the songs will, will all of a sudden just sneak up on me. And I'm like, holy crap, that's amazing. And Already, I've kind of had that that moment with Seven Rooms of Gloom. I, his vocals sound just amazing, and and I wish it would rain is is another one that I think kind of snuck up on me last week. So, with that, would you like to do the honors, and we'll bring in Lauren and discuss this in much more detail? Sure. Lauren Anke is the former vice president of education and programming of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and she actually worked on the Springsteen exhibit there. She's also the former director of NPR Music and is currently the director of the Corcoran School of the Arts at George Washington University. And she is the reigning champion of the Backstreet's Magazine Trivia Contest. Lauren Anke, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Hi, Thank you, Flynn. Thank you, Hal. Uh, it's it's great to talk with you both. I've been a real big fan of what you all have achieved over the last couple of years creating this and sustaining it. it it's really been wonderful for Uber fans like me. So thank you. <laughs> well, Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for the very, very kind, kind words. And very much. And you're you're a huge soul music fan. I am. It's it's really been one of the, you know, musics I've always really loved, you know, particularly 60s and into kind of probably the late 70s, early 80s or so. It's a music that's always been part of my life and I always come back to. And I think actually one of the things that um, I've really loved about Bruce's music over the years is how steeped in soul he's really been every step of the way. I mean, I would say that I, I probably learned a lot about soul music from Bruce records, you know, from following the breadcrumbs of some cover that he would do. You know, I, I originally read about it maybe in uh, Dave Marsh's first bio born to run in 79. I don't know whether you guys remember, but there was that Mm -hmm. awesome appendix in the back, right. With all those cover songs and, you know, at that time it was hard for me to find it, but it was like, oh, okay, what's this song? So I feel like I both, being a Bruce fan, both kind of fueled my interest in soul and also kept me around. So for me, they're they're really intertwined. And I've done, you know, some professional work on the history of soul music, particularly when I was at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame doing programming and things. Yeah. 
So now we've all heard the record. We've had a chance to sit with it a little. What were your first impressions when you heard only the Strog survive? Bruce sounds great. You know, he he said in the uh, that little intro video that this was really about him choosing songs that would enhance his voice, and it, it, he's nailed it vocally. Um, you know, in some ways, right? You think back. Maybe it's magic when I feel like his he really starts to tend to his voice in a different way. It's not as nasally. Um, uh, there's not as much sort of twang. He's kind of singing out almost like back to Born to Run days. And this seems like another progression there. And you certainly hear that on Western Stars. So that was the first thing. Um, and I think the second thing was just thinking about this set of songs, like why these songs, you know, these aren't songs that are associated with him particularly. Um, I guess I'm, I'm left a little puzzled about this record still, Um, why he's doing it. uh, What itch is it, you know, what it is, (laughs) itch is getting scratched. So I, I'm, I'm still trying to kind of make sense of it all. Um, So that, that's where I'm, I'm landing. But the the first thing is he really does sound fabulous. So what is your, what is your take on the songs that he selected to, to release on this album? They sound like they're from the sixties and early seventies. That's kind of your, your wheelhouse there. So what, what were your, what are your thoughts on these particular songs? Yeah. I mean, it's, um, I'm trying to make sense of that, Flynn. You know, <laughs> certainly, certainly, um, a lot of these songs he's he's covering some of the greatest soul singers, Levi Stubbs from the Four Tops. There's a couple of Levi Stubbs songs here. Uh, William Bell, Out of Stack, still alive and and going strong. Um, Jerry Butler in the two songs that were on his. Um, uh, the Iceman Cometh album in 1968. So he's definitely going for, you know, some of the best and most lasting uh, vocal performances in the, in the history of the music. And maybe ones that aren't as um, well known as some of the ones he's covered in the past, you know, um, you know, there's no, Sam and Dave song, although Sam Moore is on the record, there's no Smokey Robinson song. He's, he's getting into the broader canvas, I think of, of soul music and a lot of different genres. And the, the reach of the songs is really interesting. There's Motown songs, there's songs out of stacks. There's uh, also, you know, the emergence, the beginning of Philly soul in the Jerry Butler songs, you know, Kenny Gamble and, and, um, Leon Huff, who would go on to create Philadelphia International Records in the 70s and have so many amazing hits, The Sound of Philadelphia, you're seeing the the very beginnings of that in the covers here. So, and then, you know, stretching all the way to the the 80s and something like Night Shift, which was a real surprise. So I guess one of the things I'm getting is that he's presenting soul music as having a really big canvas to draw from. but the other thing that sticks out and this part I, I don't love particularly is just how close these versions are to the originals. They are, they seem, the goal seems to be to copy them as, as closely as possible. And I think in fact, two of the songs actually use samples from the original records. I don't know what exactly the, the sample is, but um, they, they, they pull those, you know, exact pieces of the song. That's the part of it that I'm like, hmm, what's he doing? Because he's never really done that before, right? He'll he covers songs, but sort of makes them his own. So, sorry, that's a long answer, but those are some of the things that I think as I as I see these songs as a set. And maybe in the end, I'm not sure they work as a whole set, but we'll we can get to that. It's interesting because some of the songs that he does live, uh, I'm thinking of Shout, Twist and Shout, he does do very, very sincere versions of the original. And there are other songs, of course, Trapped, which his audience wouldn't necessarily know from Jimmy Cliff, where he has made the song really his own. 
And here, a lot of people do seem to be confused by the closeness to, to the originals. And I have to think there's some kind of point to it. Maybe we haven't figured it out yet. But is it because he wants to pay tribute and bring these songs to his audience? And uh, a number of these songs, perfect example, which we were just talking about before you came on, Hey, Western Union Man, that's a song I, I really wasn't familiar with. And it's phenomenal. And I, I just think that it's interesting that he has brought it to the forefront now, especially since it evokes a totally different time and place than we live in in 2022. Yeah, that's interesting how, you know, there's a lot of nostalgia on the record, which I think is both good and bad. I mean, the good side of it, I think, is that so many of these songs and the thing that does really pull them together is that they are about loss, um, you know, relationships that you shouldn't have given up on so quickly, people you can't ever get back, um, you know, kind of going back to a, a different time. Um, but then there's also this, the nostalgia that can feel a little stale, like, um, soul days is one for me that doesn't quite work. Uh, it's a cool little song. Wasn't really a hit. Dobie Gray did it, um, in the early two thousands, I think, um, of drift away fame, which Bruce fans know, but it's one of those songs that's about the about soul music in a way that feels a little too on the nose for me um, and kind of makes the, I don't know, it, it frames soul music as just this safe little thing from the past. I'll drive around in a really nice car and listen to serious radio soul town and, and get my little touch of, of authenticity. So that's where the nostalgia feels a little, I'm a little uncomfortable with it, but I think you're totally right at bringing some of these songs forward to audiences that may not know them. Um, and I don't know to what extent Bruce's audience does know this stuff. Um, I mean, he clearly loves it, right? Like he comes by his knowledge and fandom of these songs, honestly. Jonathan Bernstein, in his Rolling Stone review of the album, he said he pointed out that the first line of the first sung line on the entire record is "I remember." So from right there, you you kind of know you're getting into <laughs> kind of a a little nostalgia kick there. So and it sounds like it doesn't always work, at, le at least for you. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, and that whole thing, right? I remember it reminds me of some things on Letter to You too right it, it reminds for me sure. of things on western stars like we've been kind of in this mode for a, a bit with him um these last few releases um, what, what kind of what kind of mode do you mean like just looking back looking backwards um sometimes in really nostalgic and romantic ways like on some of the images on letter to you where he's describing kind of being in a band right last man standing um there's kind of a look back in the past or on um, Western stars, something like, um, oh, what's the song that closes the record? Moonlight I'll say you in my dreams. No, uh, no. Midnight. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm sorry. Moonlight motel. Yes. Wrong album. Moonlight my bad. Motel. You know, looking back of sort of like, ah, uh, I missed it. We, and, or that, that wonderful line in Western stars it, itself. Um, there's no more, what's the line? Uh, no more um, something only again. These the, days the there ain't no more just again. I think that's yeah. it. Yeah. Right. I mean, that, that sense, right, of the clock's winding down and there's some regrets in the past. But nostalgia for these moments on the shore, there's the spoken part. Um, uh, and don't play on, that don't song. Don't play that song. Right, Hal. Yeah. Um, and I guess, well, let, I'll hold off on this point for a second. Let me leave it there for now. Well, I, and I want to get both of your opinions on this, because while it is certainly rooted in nostalgia and sometimes I admit we're, we're guilty of overthinking things. It is a record, <laughs> though, that starts with a song titled Only the Strong Survive and ends with Someday We'll Be Together in a yes. time where we're living of incredible polarization. I, that can't be a coincidence, right? 
I hope not, Hal. And I'm really glad you brought that up because I guess what worries me a little bit about the record, and it's going to be interesting to see, you know, as of as of this conversation that we're having, he hasn't done any press about it, really. You know, he's not, right, he's not talked really about the album or what his intention was. Um, I don't have the physical product quite yet, so I don't know what kind of liner notes are in there about the song. I'll be really interested to see if he makes any commentary about the songs in that regard. Um, I guess what worries me is that if this is a soul record that feels like depoliticized or outside of any cultural context and only the strong survive is a really interesting song in that regard, because it comes out in the fall of 68, uh, you know, just a few months after Dr. King was murdered and that whole summer of uprisings in 68. And while it's a song about um, staying strong because your girlfriend broke up with you, right? And there's mom's advice in there about you'll be okay, only the strong survive, buck up. Um, In the context of the times and as a model for what Philly Soul was going to do, that title certainly had much broader resonance and that song had much deeper meaning. As I think soul does generally, it often has that double meaning of both the personal and the larger social and, you know, potentially political. And that's the little spidey sense in the back of my head on this record, (laughs) thinking like, oh, is this going to all feel like soul days? We're just taking a nice drive and going back in time or is it going to have a, a bit more edge to it in the way that we know uh, that we, we've seen Bruce do before? And I love what you say, Hal, about the, the beginning and end of the record, you know, potentially having that kind of larger implication. See, I, my first take on it was that the fact that there were 15 tracks on the album and 12 of them are about uh, breaking up or having been broken up with and wanting, wanting to get it back. And, and so I, so I should look beyond that in terms of, of the themes of, of this record? Well, you should do what you want. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but should I open my eyes a little bit more and, and, and look at it more than just a bunch of songs about breakups? Yeah, I mean, look, there's amazing songs on here about breakups, right? What Becomes of the Brokenhearted, I Wish It Would Rain, um, I Forgot to Be Your Lover which is just, it feels like Back in Your Arms Again came right mm-hmm. out of I Forgot totally. to Be Your Lover. Um, so these are definitely relationship songs. I, what I'm suggesting is that there's a, there's a lot of soul music, particularly in that period, Flynn, that would, can have that kind of double-coded meaning. Um, and I'll stop there for I get what you're saying because, of course, they are relationship songs. We all recognize that, but it, it and that's why I preface it the way I did. I don't know. Are we? Uh, am I overthinking it, or it, it just seems, especially someday we'll be together, just as a title and as a sentiment. It, it seems to me, in it could be him thinking this is where the country needs to be. And of course that is a running theme throughout his work from, from day one. So, and maybe that's how it becomes overthought, but I, it just seems too much of a coincidence to me. Yeah. I don't think you're overthinking. And, and, you know, I think that's often the, the real power of soul music that it was able to speak to these larger issues you know, particularly for black listeners and musicians. Um, I think sometimes in the hands of white audiences, soul gets reduced to something that feels more, uh, it's sort of like how soul music gets used in the, in the big chill or something like soul, soul is, is to make white people feel better about themselves. It, 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 it's so often appropriated. And I always used to, you know, when I teach some of this stuff, always point out that, you know, there are great soul artists from the sixties who, you know, toured white fraternity houses in the South and had uh, tremendous success with listeners who maybe didn't 
think that they were equal citizens, right? So Seoul does have this, um, I think, complicated history. And so I, I hope, Hal, that that's how this record can be heard and also how Bruce presents it, is it with those bookends. I fear a little bit that it's going to be more like Soul Days, that, that song Soul Days, where it's, wasn't it all great when we were together, when black and white kids together listened to Motown? Um, that, that's the part of it that, that worries me a little bit. Yeah, the whole, that song, Soul Days, just, it's all, it's, the entire song is about when I was 19, yeah. thinking I was still 19, putting on my favorite pair of jeans, putting on a t-shirt and rolling up the sleeves like, like James Dean and, and then going to this barbecue place where they're going to have Otis Redding and Aretha Franklin, and right. Sam and Dave on the jukebox. You're right. That just kind of gets too, too, that's, yeah, that crosses the line from nostalgia to, uh, to cliche nostalgia practically. Cliche. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm really curious how he's going to frame this, right? And will some of these songs end up in the show? Because if they do, he could do what he's always done, right? Which is really bring out all the context and complexities of um, some of these songs, their histories and what they could mean uh, in the present. Like he's done, you know, in recent years with something like People Get Ready. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living. And every week, I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there. Or how about when he did the Apollo medley on the, on the first part of the Wrecking Ball tour? Where he he yes. tried to he tried to to describe to the audience how much soul music meant to him, especially coming out of the at that Apollo show, because that's where he learned so much, or he learned so much from those singers about. Uh, now I forget exactly what kind of stuff he learned from, but uh, he he name checked a whole bunch of them, and and then he did this that a great that amazing two song medley that was just I mean it was a crowd pleaser from the get go. Yeah, he breaks down, as I remember it, he breaks down the different subjects we'd learn in school and how you could learn that from this soul artist or, you know, history from this soul artist. Yeah, it's a it's a great little speech. Um, and, you know, a song like Only the Strong Survive, as you point out, Hal, um, also a song like What Becomes of the Brokenhearted, you know, Walking This Land of Broken Dreams. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I think that those songs could really work well in the show, juxtaposed with you know Bruce songs. It's going to be really interesting, right, to see if he's going to pull any of these out. I'll, I'll tell you another song that really blew my mind, and it was new to me: the Four Tops, Seven Rooms of Gloom. I didn't know the Tops version. I think Bruce sounds amazing on that song. It's got this kind of paranoid 
vocal where he, I'm thinking about, you know, even things like um, Cover Me, I'm, I'm hearing that voice in there, um, or My Love Will Not Let You Down, that frenetic, you know, um, you know, so I think, I think he could do a lot with these songs live, but what do you guys think? Do you think that he'll, this will just be a curio and it won't make the, the songs won't make the set? Any thoughts yet? It's going to be really fascinating because as we know, he's now sitting on a body of work, Western stars, which he has stated publicly that he doesn't really plan on playing much from that letter to you, which certainly I think the original plan was going to be the backbone of a tour and I hope is fully represented. And now you've got songs from here. As we've talked about on the show, some of the encores need freshening up. So you could see him pulling some of these songs out. And I think they really could breathe life into the show. You mentioned the one I think I'd like to see the most in the encores is what becomes of the brokenhearted. So I'm hopeful in that sense, but it is, there's so much material and we know right. he's going to have to hit the war horses. He hasn't been on the road in so long. Uh, Flynn, uh, what do you think? Uh, more than one or two of these songs are night. When it, when we first heard about this solo album, my first thought was, you know, maybe we can get a couple of songs that will replace Shout in the encores. And and for better or for worse, I don't see any songs here that, that can easily be a one-to-one uh, substitute for, for Shout, or even two or three songs on this album as, as a sub for Shout, because... Shout was the end of the show, celebration, lights on, everybody dancing. And so I don't know if any of these songs will, will fit there, but certainly they would, as Lauren pointed out, some of these would sound just, just fine next next to Bruce's Bruce's own material. I think uh, the, sun, the sun ain't going to shine anymore sounds like it could come off the promise or definitely has that darkness era era feel to it. But, yeah, you know, if... It's almost like, well, if he wants to do something that sounds like something off the promise, then do something that is actually on the promise. But yeah, I don't, I don't have a lot of, lot of high hopes here, so to speak. The sun ain't gonna shine is such a, it's, it's a bit of an outlier to me on this record. It sounds like it would have fit beautifully in the live performance of Western Stars at the barn. I mean, yeah. the, the opening mariachi horns and the incredible strings, um, you know, it, and it's not really a soul song um it was frankie valley recorded it and but i the the version it sounds like he's covering is by the walker brothers um gorgeous song but it it totally sounds like western star style to me you mentioned seven rooms of gloom and and his singing style one thing that really comes to me and this about his singing voice here is that he is a lot more full-throated than he is on his own material. I mean, he's practically singing these songs like he's on stage, and that's something that he doesn't normally do on his albums. And that that's one thing that brings that brings more passion to this than a lot of his vocals, even on his own material. I think that's a great observation. Um, and it might be attributed to how much he cares about these songs and wants to get them right. You understand every word. Um, you know, I wonder what the physical toll was on him for, um, you know, Howard Stern asked him in the interview the other day, if he'd ever done any kind of voice, uh, if he ever had a voice coach or voice therapy, he right away said no, but I wonder, um, (laughs) (laughs) because, you know, he's really on it and you wonder, how many of these he could have, he could have done in a day, but you know, the passion of them and he's hitting all the notes and, you know, Flynn, maybe that's why I feel a little bit like the music, the music doesn't match the ambition of the vocals. Um, my understanding is that Ron and yellow plays pretty much all the instruments, um, except for the horns. Uh, that is and- our understanding as well. Yep. Maybe there's there's a guitar part by Bruce somewhere in there. Um, and, you know, this isn't a surprise to us. That's how they recorded a lot of Western stars and um, maybe, you know, more of um, Wrecking Ball than we, we might have imagined. But the music does feel a little antiseptic to me compared to the vocals. Now, once I'm hearing this on, on a big stereo, when I get my physical copy... It might be different than 
hearing things stream. Um, but it feels like there's a, there's a, a gap between the passion and the power of the vocals and the music on these records and these songs. Yeah, it's interesting that you used the word antiseptic. I think that has certainly been one of the major complaints and discussions online. And Bruce certainly seemed to imply during his video statement that was released before Do I Love You that the album has was recorded during lockdown. So they would have been constrained in what they could do. Did they ever consider bringing in studio musicians later on? I, again, I, I don't think we know that, and he we won't until he talks about it. But I do hear that Bruce is really proud of the record. He certainly seemed excited about it in that little clip. Um, and isn't the story circulating around that there's tons of this material? Yes, that's lots and lots a fact. Of covers. Yeah, yeah um, like up to 80, <laughs> 50, 80. A whole bunch of more songs are, are there. And, well, and the volume one on the artwork certainly indicates that they do plan to release at least one more uh, album of this of these covers. And he specifically said to Howard, there were 40 songs on the floor from this. Now, it's all a little unclear because the information is a little murky, especially based on his statement, because he said, I did a record, I tossed it, then he came into this. So we don't know, did he toss 40 songs that were directly related to the soul record? Is every song that they recorded of the supposed large tranche of material are they all soul it's it's unclear and i guess it's not going to be clear until we find out what volume two is or if he starts actually doing some interviews about what he's up to here yeah and i think the inclusion of the sun ain't gonna shine anymore would would maybe be a clue that it's not entirely all soul music i mean maybe it started as a project of songs that would really push him vocally, which that certainly does. Um, I mean, it's fascinating, right? Like what, what, you know, I'm curious, when did he start doing this? How long were they building up this pile of songs? Um, And, you know, the care on the vocals, it's also worth noting um, the really great uh, backup singers here. Um, We've not only got, you know, Susie and um, Michelle Moore's back in the mix on a, on a couple of songs, right? Um, but also some some great, great backup singers, Curtis King, who's been with Bruce on and off for a long time now, and also Fonzie Thornton and Dennis Collins, who have sung with a ton of people, uh, but in particular Aretha Franklin and Luther Vandross. Um, so this whole idea of a of a big chorus, which, you know, in some ways comes out of the 2012, 13 tour is present here. Do we know if the upcoming tour is going to have that size of a band? Any rumors circulating? We, we don't yet. We're, yeah. We're not entirely sure. There have been some, some whispers that there will be more than just the East decor E street band on stage, but nothing's been, nothing's been confirmed yet. If you really want to pull these songs off, you need a band the size of, the Wrecking Ball Tour band. You need horns and you need a lot of singers because you, you know, these songs are really arranged. I mean, there's a Mm. few that are more stripped back, like I Forgot to Be Your Lover. Um, But if you want to pull off Someday We'll Be Together or uh, Do I Love You, those need a lot of sound up there, I think. Definitely. And just what you were talking about with the backup singers, that's actually what I was referring to. He obviously felt it was important. And we know that Curtis and those guys were in in late 2021 to lay over what Ron had done. And, and, And it seems like they could have easily done the same thing with famous players from the soul era and had them come in and augment what Ron did. But he obviously decided not to do that, which is a curious choice. And and as you point out, Lauren, until he talks, (laughs) nobody's going to have any answers. Yeah. I mean, it's nice to hear Sam Moore here, you know, it would be, it would have been great to have William Bell on the record. Um, You know, we don't have too many of those, those pioneers around, but we do have some and Bruce can really sing with soul singers. You know, the, the years we've seen Sam Moore at the holiday shows, 
Heck, when he got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, who was his one guest? Wilson Pickett. Um, and so, you know, this is territory he knows really well. Um, and it's also interesting to me that none of our kind of Jersey soul regulars are here, right? No Southside, no Steven. Um, no Bonds. No Bonds, right? Um, so it's um it's it's a fascinating project um when i first heard about it it felt you know i was so mad about tickets that it kind of felt like something that you know if your partner or spouse really screws up and upsets you they they come back with just the the thing that you that would have to make you smile that would have to you know your favorite thing and it felt a little bit like that when I heard that Bruce was doing a soul record. I was like, I'm too mad at you to accept <laughs> this soul record. Because <laughs> um, it's been kind of my dream for, for a long time that that he would do a record like this, um, maybe just not in this way. So I'm really dying for some of it to, to come out live. See, I am not that familiar with a lot of these songs, as I said. Mm-hmm. So... I, when I, when people say to me that the record feels antiseptic and all that stuff, I, I understand where they're coming from. And it mm-hmm. does to a certain extent. I also I, I think that we may have to understand the situation in which it was recorded if it was a lockdown project. But for me, the album, it, it's energetic and it does make me, makes me smile. And I actually have been listening to it more than I would have expected. Uh, Not necessarily the whole thing straight through, but there are a number of tracks here, especially something like I Forgot to Be Your Lover, which I I think he just nails. And sure, maybe it could have been recorded slightly differently and and with a little bit of a rougher edge to it, but it works for me and, and I'm really enjoying it. That song is amazing. I forgotten about that song it's been so long since i've heard it and as soon as it he starts it's like of course this is a bruce springsteen song um and i think lyrically he's chosen songs that really really work for him that are consistent with the kinds of things he sings about in his own material um you know particularly you know one that really stood out for me. I mentioned seven rooms of gloom, but also what becomes of the brokenhearted, which I thought, Hmm, can he pull this off? This is a Motown, absolute Motown classic. Um, but he owns it. I think the one thing I'll say is that so far, I'm not sure I would turn to these versions of these songs rather than the originals. Um, if I wanted to hear these songs, but we'll see what, what they feel like after I kind of live in them for a while. How are you liking it, Flynn? <laughs> um, I, I go back and forth quite a bit. I think part of my problem uh, for not totally embracing it is that I thinking of what it's not. And it's, it's not tracks two. It's not Born in the USA box set. You know, so in a way, I'm kind of like, you know, was this really the time to release this uh, a holiday release right before tour started this kind of, you know, some people would call it a vanity project, but then when you, when you listen to it and you kind of just get lost in it, it's, it is, it's fun. It's, I mean, despite the, the themes of, of lost relationships and, and, and such, it, it is fun and it's hard not to, not to get into it when he, when he, during Western Union, man, I love that song. And, and I'm a big fan of the song night shift from, from the Commodores when it was a hit, you know, back in 85. And so I'm, I'm digging those songs. I'm digging these songs a lot. I just have to remind myself that this is what it is. And, and to, every time, anytime you hear Bruce sing a song, you, you need to, for us, we, you know, we have such an emotional investment in Bruce that we have to give these songs a chance. And so far it's, it's working for me right now. That's for sure. Interesting about night shift. And we were talking about this and emailing about it a little bit that he actually makes a little night shift reference in 
Uh, is it in my city of ruins in yes. 2012 yes. you dug up? Yes. I think it was in Boston, right? Just a couple of lines. Um, it's interesting because, you know, Night Shift is about the loss of Marvin Gaye and Jackie Wilson, both of whom died that year. And it's about their incredible voices and what they meant. So, you know, when I, when I listened to that Boston clip, I was like, is it really night shift? But then it kind of makes sense because that whole, when he sings it, is that whole part of the song where we were, you know, remembering Clarence and remembering Danny. Um, I, I mean, when those things happen and, you know, one of the things uh, that I've written about and I'm, I've always been intrigued by is the, the, the kind of big, I call them the, the soul mixes that Bruce has done where he puts together these medleys that include a cover and then his own music. Um, you know, way back in the day, it was having a party in the East street shuffle or Martha Reeves and the Vandell is nowhere to run with cover me on the born in the USA tour. Or it takes two uh, with, with two hearts and, roll of the dice with Solomon Burke's everybody needs somebody to love. Like I wonder how, I always wonder, and if I could ever interview Bruce, I would ask him that. Um, how do those happen? Do they, is it a moment in performance where the song, the other song is evoked for you and then you go, Ooh, this is good. We can work this in. Or is it something he plans out way far in advance? Um, because when he does those things really well, it, it's it's incredible. Like the lines from Nowhere to Run with, with Cover Me just get that kind of paranoia in, in both songs and sort of fear and wanting to shut out the world. Um, so back to Night Shift, when I heard that, I thought, did that song just drop in his head at that performance? Um, or, or some of those covers kind of swirling around in, in notes or something? I've never seen him really talk about that. That is an interesting question. I, especially because I mean, regarding night shift is that it was in the top 10 at the same time. One of his own songs was I'm on fire. So I wonder, you know, was he listening to top 40 radio, you know, in March of 85 where, and then it kind of stuck around or did he have it from, uh, was it it running around his head in, in years, in years, in years since. See, I can't believe that that's a coincidence because it ties in so well to a line that he uttered every night in My City of Ruins at that point, which is one of the great lines he's ever spoken. If we're here and you're here, then they're here. And to me, that is the theme of Night Shift, no? I mean, that J Jackie Wilson and Marvin Gaye are still with us. That's exactly right. Yeah. It, it's too bad he didn't really pull that song out farther. I mean, I really hope he does an interview with someone about these songs, um, you know, that, that dives into them just a little bit, it, you know, in the ways, and I, sorry to mention this on your podcast, Hal, but the way that he talked about the songs on Seeger Sessions in interviews. <laughs> um, okay. it, it exists. I have to live with it. Um, you know what I mean? That he, I mean, he did an interview with Dave Marsh for Sirius at that time and the the liner notes had at least a couple sentences about, you know, the origin of the song and um, some of the political uses of some of the songs on that record. And I would just love to hear him actually talk about some of this music, or if he won't do an interview, it would be great if he would dedicate uh, from my home to yours, a show or two about these songs, because when he talks about, you know, covers that he's done or music that he cares about, it's great. Um, and he has such interesting observations about the song. So if he doesn't want to talk to an interviewer because maybe he doesn't want to talk about the tickets, you know, <laughs> yeah. he, he could just do a couple of, of, of his own shows about these originals and what drew him to them. I think that would be fascinating. Yeah. I, th I think, unfortunately for any interview he's going to do he's going to say, I'm not talking about that. And that's going to be, have to be uh, a preset ground rule for for any of those interviews and and you mentioned his radio show from my home to yours i i think i mean we gotta think that when he was pulling out songs 
for to play on his show that this that might have been some of the inspiration for re- recording them himself. Yeah, I agree, Flynn. That it it doesn't seem like that would be a coincidence because I was looking today, in fact, at the playlists for those shows because I was trying to remember if he actually did a soul show per se, and I don't think so. Um, but you know, he dug so deep into so many records and had really interesting thematic arcs in those shows that he was spending a lot of time on music other than his own. And maybe that's what sparked this whole thing. Possibly so. I, it's gotta be at the top of the list in terms of how it, how it came to be. It would seem, uh, again, let's hope that he speaks and fleshes this out a little bit more. And and I think the whole thing about the tickets, I think he can find the way to speak without having to deal with that. First of all, if he goes on something like Stephen Colbert, which he's done, or Fallon, they're not asking him about the tickets. Let's let's face reality. Yeah, they're they're pretty – they throw a lot of softballs at him. And at the same time – doing a 12 minute spot with those two guys, he's not going to have enough time to, to talk about these songs to the extent that, that we want to hear him talk. Well, here's a question. If he were to do a little promotional thing during the shows, will he play anything live? And what would those songs be and with whom, you know, maybe do I love you or he's got the video out of don't play that song, but would, you know, would he go on and, you know, play with the roots. Um, I th- I, that would probably be the best or the most likely situation. Sense, yeah. I remember he, he did when he was doing the darkness box, he went on and they did save my love and, and, and because the night. So I'm sure they could work up something with the roots, just do one song or two songs. And, and I think the guy from Colbert, John Baptiste, right? He's pretty talented too. So I, I guess that could be a possibility. John announced yeah. he was leaving Colbert. I don't know if that okay. happened yet. <laughs> All right. Sorry. You know, yeah, I don't know if he's gone yet, but yeah, he he would be great. I mean, I guess that's the that's the question for me is will Bruce make this music sort of a core part of what he's going to do in 2023? And I hope so. And then I think it's going to give this record even more resonance you know or will it just be sort of left behind and I, and I don't know what people are going to do with it one of you said before uh, about kind of a vanity project um, I mean maybe that's what he's going to do from now on like this is just what I want to do I want to make a record paying tribute to you know the style of Jimmy Webb and Glenn Campbell and so I'm going to do that <laughs> I'm going to make a soul record because um, that's what I'm enjoying doing in my studio at my house. Um, well, so I'm, really, well, I'm, I'm, I guess in the end, I'm really curious about what meaning is Bruce going to make of this record? Okay. See, I'm kind of hoping that there, there's a volume two is like Johnny Cash and Elvis Presley covers. I think that would be really, that would be really cool. Well, I hope we get a chance to talk about something like that. How do you think fans are generally going to respond to this record? Sorry, now I'm interviewing you guys, but I'm. Um, <laughs> it, it appear it appears not well yeah. now. As we know, most of the commentary, uh, uh, not Flynn. Sorry about this. Uh, uh, on the Backstreet's board, it tends to be, I think, towards the negative anyway. So that may not be a fair reading, but I do think that fans are confused. I. What Flynn was saying, and I was going to uh, say something about that, I I do think, and nobody wants tracks to more than me, but I do think we have to separate what he's putting out from what we wish he put out. That's not fair to him, and uh, and it's not a way to enjoy music. So, uh, I get get that, Hal. I get that. But I just, you know, to be honest, I don't see a lot of these songs coming into the the show next year. And if they do, I do believe you're going to see – people talking during those songs. You're going to see people going to the bathroom and like in droves. I mean, I'm sorry to be harsh about this, but you know, the fans aren't changing with him. And as you know, as he kind of referred to on Stern. So I, you know, I, I don't see them going over very well in concert, at least among the, the majority of the crowd. I mean, it's, 
When you say that, Flynn, I was thinking, you know, for me, soul music is an absolute core building block of Bruce Springsteen's music from the very beginning till now. I wonder if that's something that the fan base would also see or even agree with, you know, that if this feels more far afield from his sound, than if he did a bunch of Elvis and Johnny Cash covers, you know, I don't know. Um, and I don't know how, how generally people, I mean, you know, I almost pass out every time he's done back in your arms again. When I've been lucky <laughs> oh, to be it's there. so magnificent. It's beautiful. Right? Um, but, but is that, you know, is that something that the majority of people in the building are there to see Bruce Springsteen do? Um, so uh, it's, it's going to be interesting. Well, I just remember on the, on the river tour, the second river tour at Madison square mm. garden, when he, anything, anytime he did anything that wasn't a full tilt rocker, you could just hear the din of conversation. And maybe the fact that these, most of these songs are, do have a you know a nice beat you can dance to um, that that may not happen, but I still don't think that they're going to be crowd favorites you know by any stretch. Well, let me just finish with this because I think we have to wrap up. But as the apparent poster child of the anti seeker sessions crowd, I, what <laughs> I would say is that. I think it's how it's presented. These songs can be presented with the E Street Band in a way that totally fits with his material, something like What Becomes of the Brokenhearted. That is not necessarily the same. It's not the same as the Seeger Sessions. I have found the Seeger Sessions material in the actual E Street Band show to be very disjointed, like the night we saw where Jesse James and Prove It All Night were played back-to-back, which was bewildering. This will all fit together in, I think, a coherent way if he wants to do it. Now, I agree. I don't think there's going to be a lot of material played from this record, but I think it fits in much better to the E Street fabric than, say, something like the Seeger Sessions. And I, and I do agree with that. I do agree with that. This, could, this can fit in a lot more seamlessly with the rest of his catalog, I just don't see a lot of fans clamoring for it uh, as the tour, as the tour progresses. You know, when oh. you mentioned the, the river rate kind of, you know, the river box set tour, I'm reminded of how he did um, fade away on that tour in particular. I mean, it was like that way back in 80 when I first saw him, but absolutely a flat out soul delivery from him and, and the E Street Band could pull it off. I hope that some of these songs end up in the show, um, particularly something like Only the Strong Survive, and I hope that he pulls out of it the political and cultural messages that are embedded in those songs from their original moments uh, and the way that they call on us to get through this really insane <laughs> time. Um, so that that's what I'm hoping happens. It works for me. Well, thank All you right. so much, Lauren, for joining us. This was amazing. Thank you both. It was really wonderful to talk to you. And I uh, congratulations on the pod. It's terrific. Thank you. We, we appreciate the kind words. And, and thank you again uh, for, talk, for taking time out to talk to us about, about this record. Once again, that was Lauren Aki, and we thank her very much for coming on. I, I really enjoyed that. I thought that was a great conversation. Yeah, she provided a lot of color on, on these songs and, and background that I had no idea about, obviously. And uh, she opened my eyes to, to some aspects about these songs. So next time I listen, I'm going to have a, a, a different viewpoint on, on some of these. And while we're talking about her, she actually has a, an essay in, in, a, in a book called Long Walk Home, Reflections on Bruce Springsteen. Her essay is appropriately about Bruce and black music. And the book is edited by Jonathan Cohen and June Skinner Sawyer. So that would be worth a read, especially after that conversation. Yeah, definitely check that out. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks with our next episode. Right now, I'll conclude with our little spiel. None But the Brave is produced by Bull Market Entertainment, and we're a presentation of Evergreen Podcasts. On the web, you can find us at nonebutthebravepodcast.com, and on Twitter, we're at NBTB Podcast.
And thanks again to Lauren Anke for joining us. So for Hal Schwartz, I'm Flynn McLean saying thanks for listening, and we'll see you further on up the road. Thank you so much. We'll be seeing you. Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dean Archipotas, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, Yeah. right? And, yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? (laughs) The Bigfoot thing is people have seen these, and and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Tripodis. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network.